thinking like we pray and ask God to let it rain. But sometimes uh, maybe the soil isn't quite what it needs to be in our hearts to, to absorb it. I don't know if you've ever had your heart uh, get a little hardened by something. Uh, but I, So I was thinking, like, what's like the best heart condition, the best heart soil that can absorb this rain? And I was thinking of uh, a time where Jesus was trying to illustrate what it was like to be a Jesus follower, what it was like to be... Uh, in his kingdom, so to speak. And so I don't know if he looked around, but I picture he kind of looked around for a prop and he saw a little child and he got the child who at that time back then and maybe even in some circles today, children weren't welcome in the circle of adults, but he puts the kid right in the middle of all the adults. Now kids were supposed to be seen and not heard and Jesus now brings the kid to the forefront right in the middle of the group and goes, all right, so if you want to know what it's like to follow me, if you want to know what it's like to be a part of what I'm up to, and he, I picture him putting his hand on the kid's head and going, this is what it's like. That if you want to grow up in Jesus, you got to grow down. Have you ever noticed that sometimes kids are in some ways incredibly more mature than adults? And I'll confess that for, for me. Have you noticed that some kids are just far braver than the adult version of themselves ends up being. That sometimes the kid version of ourselves was so much more less self-aware. You could just dance and not be embarrassed. Have you ever just noticed that sometimes kids are so much cooler by having other people in their lives than the adult version of themselves sometimes ends up being? I mean, kids are just like, I like food too. Let's hang out. Let's be friends. I mean, they're just sometimes more courageous have you noticed that sometimes kids are just more apt to go, hey, I need something. I need help. And sometimes the adult version of ourselves loses that. And so I love that Jesus would go, if you want to kind of know what that's like, let me show you an example. And he points at a little kid. And I had a young lady named Zoe hand this to me today. And Zoe, I hope I'm not embarrassing you, sweetie. Uh, but she made this. Uh, you can see this at home. She made this. For Pastor Rob, our lead pastor, who's right now down in uh, southern Utah at another Foursquare church. And uh, it just says, I love Jesus. I love that. I told her those are three of my favorite words. I love Jesus. I love that sometimes kids can just be so free to just express their heart to God and not be embarrassed or ashamed about it. I want some of that. So I want to be like you, Zoe. And uh, I want to be more like a kid because life has had a way of just sometimes making me think I'm more mature than I really am. And I'm actually maybe need to be a little more immature, a little more courageous, a little more brave. And so I want it to rain on my heart and your heart, but we may need to be more childlike if it's really going to settle into our hearts. And so I want to pray for me. I want to pray for you that God would change the soil of our heart. And if we need to grow down a little bit so that we can grow up, if you're for that, if you want that, would you pray as I pray? Lord, Heavenly Father, I love you, Jesus, and this is why we gather in your name. Jesus, no matter how old I get, I'm just a kid in your eyes. Heavenly Father, I'm still just a child who's in need of his Heavenly Father, who's in need of his friends. 
Would you change the soil of my heart, heart to absorb your rain? Whatever it is that you need to pour into my life, whether it's humility or courage or faith, confidence in God, would you soften my heart? Would you help me to grow down? Would you help me to know what it looks like to be a kid who just simply trusts, asks for help, includes others, and just walks with you? God, help us to be more like that. Help me to be more like that. I love you, Jesus. I, I agree with, with Zoe. I love you, Jesus. Thank you for showing us by pointing out a little kid in your midst to show me what it's like to walk with you. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may have a seat. Thank you so much. Thank you, worship team, for leading us so beautifully today. I want to welcome everybody here, and in fact, I want your guys' help in welcoming a very specific group of people that aren't here physically, but they're there, right through there, and so we're just going to wave at them. You can blow kisses, you can dab, whatever you want to do. Welcome online team. Uh, we're so thankful. We love you guys. We love you too. This is for you. Uh, we love all of you. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Please let us know if you're a first-timer and uh, you've never been here before. We'd love to pray with you. We'd love to connect with you. If there's something we can do to serve you um, or just hear your heart, we would love to, to know you came today. So if you're a first-timer online, or especially if you're here in person, just be yourself. Uh, whether you're a Jesus follower or not, you maybe just showed up. You're not quite sure about Jesus yet. You don't necessarily love Jesus yet, but you're kind of just figuring it, out, figuring it out. We're glad you're here. Just be yourself and know you are loved, and uh, we appreciate you being here. So, all right, so I have very, something very important to say, and this is going to apply to some of you back here as well, so pay attention. Not all of you just yet, I don't think. But if you're a parent of a little tiny baby or to a third grader, just raise your hand, or you're a grandparent or a guardian, raise your hand. Nursery, all the way, we got some back here. Yep, yep, we got some. Okay, all right, you can put it down. So here's some exciting news that uh, next Sunday, we are going to be opening up some of our kids' church classes for infants all the way to third grade. So I want to show you a photo. Yes, very exciting. Very excited. Some of you, you didn't even hear what I just said because you have an infant through a third grader sitting next to you and you were entirely distracted. So I hope you were still able to hear somehow. But listen in, and everybody listen in, because we're going to get to everybody in the room eventually. But here's a picture of our website, which is crossroadsgo.org. If you're wondering, why isn't it just crossroads? That's easier, because there's like a million crossroads. And I think the gym up the road took that one. So uh, <laughs> we have crossroadsgo.org. And essentially, if you go to our home tab, you'll see ministries, and you see kids, and you see kids check in. It may be hard to see, but you can go to crossroadsgo.org. You'll see it better. You're going to click kids check in because here's what you need to do if you're a parent and, and uh, you want to have your kids checked into that class. You got to do some work this week a little bit. There'll be a little bit of a learning curve because we have a touch-free system now to register your kids. We want to go touch-free as much as we can. So you will go to this page and you can download our kids check-in app. It's an app specifically for parents wanting to check their kid in into their classroom. So you want to go to this. And then I want you to pull out your phone or if you're a pen or pencil person, and if you're a phone person, just take a picture of this. This is important information. This essentially is the web address that takes you to the picture we just showed you before. And you're going to especially want the email at the bottom. That's what I'm saying. Write it down or just take a photo of it. Because that email is the email you're going to email us to and go, 
help. I don't know what to do. How do I download that? What are the steps? I totally can't figure it out. So you're going to be able to email kids at Crossroads, got, uh, go, whatever that says. I need water. <laughs> kids at crossroadsco.org. You're going to email us and say, help, I don't know what to do. All right. So that is very, very important. And then the last thing is, is kind of like an all play for everybody. You may be wondering, why is it only up to third grade? Well, one of the reasons is, is uh, we need more teammates in order to build more classrooms. So we need more people who'd be willing to love on kids, tell them about Jesus. Uh, and our, our, our ask for you, this is so important, put up one finger, the right one, people. Put up one finger. Here we go. Here's what it is. One Sunday a month. Would you be willing to commit to one Sunday a month? If you'd be willing to do that, you can do that right there. One Sunday a month somewhere. And our goal would be to want to offer more and more classrooms as we add more and more people who want to serve our wonderful, beautiful kids that we have. Any questions about that? I hope you put down that email address because that's how you'll let us know that you're still thoroughly confused. So you have work to do this week, but thank you so much. And we're excited for all the teachers who have already signed up and allowed us to do infants through third grade. We love you. We love you. We love you. Lastly, we are going to receive our tithe, and I have one more cool story about Zoe. Sorry, Zoe. I don't mean to embarrass you again, but I got to because you're just so cool. So Zoe uh, not only handed me this, but she handed me a little Ziploc bag filled with change because she's been working at home, and she earned some money, and she wanted to give her part to God. And that's what we're going to do right now is, uh, is through our tithe. We're going to receive our tithe, and uh, I want to thank you, Zoe. I want to be more like you. I want to grow down to where you're at, who you just go, here's what I made, here's what mom and dad gave me, and here's what I'm going to give back uh, to Jesus, because that's just what you do. Kids don't question it. They're not thinking about, she's not planning about, what if I'm, when I'm 70, will I have this left? She's like, <laughs> not even thinking about it. She's just like, this is just what you do when you love God. So uh, we're going to give you a minute to, to tithe. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to give you a chance to give. Heavenly Father, thank you for uh, being so generous in, in, uh, to us, to me. Uh, God, you sent your only son. You gave everything. And uh, we are so grateful for it, Lord. Help us to be generous people who give of our time and our energy and our thoughts and our kind words and our money. Help us to just be generous and grow in generosity in every single aspect of our lives. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, go ahead and give, and we'll be back in just a minute. Thank you so much.
Well, good morning, Crossroads. Can you hear me? Good morning, Crossroads. There we are. If you are joining us online, I'm going to wave too because we think you're really cool and we're glad you're here. If you don't know who I am, I am Shannon and my family, well, some of my family is over here. Alan and uh, Lindsay and Lacey is socializing somewhere. I don't know where she's at, but oh, she's in the back over there. Okay. Um, And if you don't know who we are, we are sort of still kind of new to Utah and Crossroads. We Uh, showed up on November 1st last year. It's almost been a year, and I cannot believe it. Um, We showed up about it almost a year ago. The short version is we lived in Phoenix for 10 years, and God said, go to Utah, and we said yes. Now, there's a little more to it than that, but that's basically what happened. Um, And so we just this summer bought a house in West Haven. Any West Havenites out here or sort of, kind of, no? Okay, that's great. It's fine. (laughs) That's why we went, because we need to go and we need to take Jesus to West Haven. So we're really excited. We love it out there. Um, We're getting settled into life in Utah. We don't miss the heat of Phoenix. Did not one time this summer wish I was there, ever. It's been glorious and wonderful. Um, And I am privileged to be a part of the communication team here, and I'm super excited today specifically to share Um, As you know, or maybe you don't, that's okay if you don't, we have been in the middle of this series called the Christian Constitution. And I know when I say the word Constitution, we all think of the American Constitution, right? We all think of the document that is the binding document of our country. It's the law of the land. You can't trump the Constitution, right? It is it. And so what we're doing is we're taking that concept of the Constitution and we're applying it to the Sermon on the Mount, the most famous sermon that Jesus ever preached in Matthew 5. Lots of stuff packed into that sermon, and it is essentially the constitution of a follower of Jesus. It is the binding document. It is the guiding principles that we want to follow if we say we're part of his kingdom. Now, Jesus came, obviously, to Israel where they'd been living by the law for many, many, many generations. And what he actually did is he said, here's the law, and here's what you thought it meant, but I'm here to actually reveal to you the true heart of it. I'm here to actually show you what my father always intended in the law. And so he flipped some things upside down for us, shocked us a little bit, made us a little angry. Oh, it's that's how it goes. I thought it was this way. You're telling me it's this way. Our U.S. Constitution has 27 amendments, and so these are the things that they've come back to that document later and said, we need to tweak this, or this needs to be changed, or this needs to be clarified. And that's essentially what Jesus has done for us. He made changes to the way we live out relationship with him. He made changes to the way we view relationship with him. He elevates, really what he does is he elevates the standard to be a citizen of his kingdom, to what it was always meant to be. He doesn't raise it higher than it was supposed to be. He just says, this is actually where my father's always intended us to live. And with that has come the reality that it's not just what we do that qualifies us. It's not how well we follow the letter of the law. It actually goes deeper than that. Jesus shifts everything to this conversation about what is the real proof of a relationship with him, and that is 
fruit. Juicy, good fruit. (laughs) If you've been in church, and even if you haven't, that's okay. You hear the phrase sometimes, you will know them by their fruit, because that's in Scripture. We say that a lot to each other. We, We want to be known by our fruit. And what exactly is that fruit? Well, Galatians 5 is pretty clear. It says, Galatians 5.22 says, the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read that, I realize I have a long way to go. I have like probably seven of those I need to work on. (laughs) So that is fruit. When Jesus says, it's about relationship. I'm here to show you the real way, the real truth of what my father desires, the real intent. It's about a heart change, not an action change. Because we can be doing the things on the outside that look right, and our heart can be far from him. Really what this fruit is, it's, it's produced, this fruit comes and is produced by a heart that is home for his presence. We no longer go to find God. God has come to us. He comes and he dwells in us. And the way that that is proved is through the fruit of our lives. So that's where we're at as we dive in today. And I just want to go ahead and tell you up front, this is a really tender topic that we're going to tackle. But Jesus talked about it. And if Jesus thinks it's important to talk about, then we're going to talk about it. It's tender. It's painful. Um, if, we're not, if we can be honest, it's not talked about enough. We avoid this. The church has, over the generations, struggled through this conversation and how to approach it. So this isn't going to be easy. But if we're going to be what Jesus asks us to be, we have to talk about it. And that's our sexual purity. That's our sexual identity. Now, as I prepared this, I was very aware that there are little ears in the room. And so I'm going to do my best (laughs) to be super G-rated, okay? (laughs) But so when I leave out certain words, I trust you guys to fill in the blanks when necessary because I want to keep it G-rated, but also for it to make sense. So we're going to just go with it, okay? But I, when Rob asked, Pastor Rob asked me if I would take this message, I didn't know it. First, I knew it was the Christian Constitution, but I didn't know what the topic was. I said, sure, I can do that. And then I went and I looked at what the message was, and I'm like, wait. And so then I went back to my notes that I had from other messages, and I'm like, I preached this exact message before we left Phoenix. And so I'm going, Jesus, of all the messages that you would have me preach again, why would you pick this one? But I know the answer to that. It's because my story is all wrapped up in this conversation of sexual identity and sexual purity and sexual sin that leads to destruction. All of the trauma I endured as a child growing up comes from this one thing, sexual sin and sexual identity. I grew up in church. I don't really know a time that I wasn't in church, so I am the exact definition of church girl. That is who I was growing up. My family was super involved in ministry and church. I have a legacy of pastors that were pastors for 50, 60 years. So that is my story. I have been in that world my whole life. Yet, behind closed doors, it wasn't the same. Who we were at church was not who we were at home. Some of you are already nodding your heads because you know that story well. 
There were many things that were done in secret. There were addictions that were kept secret. And those things eventually led to me being abused and to the ultimate destruction of my family. And I wanted to tell you that because I don't want you to think I'm coming to you today with some intellectual conversation about how to walk in purity. This is my story. This is the reality of what this does to our lives if we don't grab hold of the truth that Jesus is giving us. I am aware of how powerful this battle is. I am aware that it rages constantly all around us, in us, in our homes, in the secret, in the dark. I know because I've lived it and I've watched it happen. And I know that the choices that we make, that there were a thousand thoughts and decisions that we've made before we got to the place of addiction or damage or whatever that is for us, a thousand decisions were made. We made a thousand choices along the way to get us to that place. None of us get up and decide we're going to live lives of sexual impurity. None of us decide that we're going to go down these roads of addictions and destruction. Nobody thinks that's going to happen to them. The truth is that um, we're all making thousands of decisions every day. I mean, a lot of decisions. And I think that in today's world, especially, like you're deciding where you're going to eat. You're deciding what you're going to watch. You're deciding, well, it's 2020. You're making a lot of extra decisions too. So, so many decisions, right? So many decisions. And in that, because of good and evil that's always at war, we're always having to make decisions about good versus evil, right and wrong. But here's the thing. Can I tell you something? Humans are really bad judges. We're bad at it. And the reason we're bad at it is because God never intended for us to be judged. When he created Adam and Eve, he gave them one choice that they had to, that, that was it, one decision. Don't eat from this tree. That's the only thing that you have to decide, not to do that. Everything else is fair game. Of course, we know what happened. Thanks a lot, Adam and Eve. Here we are. But because of the choice they made, that put us in the center of a struggle that requires us to make judgment calls on a daily basis. But because we're bad at judging, we lose sight of truth often in making our judgments. We let our flawed human reasoning help us make our judgments. This is why Jesus came, friends. He came to set the record straight, so to speak. He came to clarify for us what the Father really meant. And as we continue our conversation today, we're looking at this place in Matthew 5 that has been widely discussed, widely misunderstood, and sometimes widely avoided because we just don't know what to do with it. So before we get into it, I want to give context, because context is everything. Like, we use context in our lives today. It, it, where you're at when this happens and you tell the story, that matters. And it's the same in the Bible. When you read a passage of Scripture, you have to remember, like, this is a different day, different group of people, different everything. And so what's happening in the moment 
that we're reading Matthew 5. Like, what is the setup? I'm a storyteller, so I'm always visualizing the scenes in my head. So Jesus is on a mountain, on a hill, not a mountain, he's on a hillside, and everybody's gathered around, and they're sitting, listening, his disciples he's gathered are there too, and the teachers of the law, because aren't they always everywhere that Jesus goes? It amazes me. I'm like, how did they not have lives? Everywhere that Jesus went, and the teachers of the law were present. I'm like, don't they have some law to go teach or something? (laughs) Always present. So the teachers of the law are there, and that's really important, friends, because the teachers of the law are the ones who dictated and determined everything for this society, okay, for Israel. Everything came down to the teacher of the They were essentially the law. What they said went. So we've got some weighty, important people listening to Jesus give this sermon. And I think it's important that we know that because sometimes I think that we've seen this moment portrayed with a solemn Jesus who's very just like, you've heard it said. That is not the reality. Jesus is like, being bold, and he's defying what has always been said in front of the men who have said it. So this is not a fluffy moment, okay? This is not a fluffy, sad Jesus moment. This is like a fire, boldness, courage moment where Jesus is like, I'm here to set the record straight. And something you'll hear a lot if you read Matthew 5, it says it more than once because Jesus says this more than once. You've heard it said, fill in the blank, but I say... So this is literally what he's saying. Your teachers have told you this is what the law means, but I say this is what it means. No wonder they didn't like him, (laughs) right? No wonder they're like, who do you think you are? He's here to show us what the father actually meant, what his heart actually is. It's also important that you understand In this context, in this day, the reality is that men oppressed women. And they definitely oppressed women in matters of sexuality. Women had no say. Men had all the say. Women weren't even allowed to read. They didn't even know how to read. So they were very just, your job is to serve your husband and that's it. Okay? Now we need to understand that this was not God's balance. This is the way that some bad judges judge the law. Okay? So what we have here is we have a culture that when it comes to sexuality, men have oppressed women. Women have not much voice. And Jesus is about to rock everybody's world. One example of how unbalanced and unfair it was in this culture is the story of the woman caught in adultery. Many of us know it. Some of us don't, and that's fine. It's a pretty racy moment in the Gospels where these men, teachers, literally catch this woman in the act. So that's awkward, right, of adultery. They drag her out of the house. Jesus happens to be nearby. They throw her at his feet. We caught her. She was committing adultery. And then they wait for him to say, you're right. The law says to stone her. Let's do it. And this is where one of the most famous lines that Jesus ever gives is said. And he doesn't stone her. He says, you without sin cast the first stone. And then they all drop their rocks. But can I ask a question? I've always wondered this. Where was the man? Because it takes two last time I checked. I think it was that way in Israel too. 
But we don't see the man being thrown at Jesus' feet. We only see the woman. That is the culture. That is the context that we need to understand when Jesus is giving this message and, and how people in the crowd are thinking as he gives this message. It's pretty racy stuff. So with that in mind, let's read. We're going to be in Matthew 5, and we're starting in verse 27. And you can follow along on the screen if you want. It says, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It's better to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. It has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you, anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality makes her the victim of adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Ooh, everybody just take a deep breath. Here we are, okay? We're just going to go there. So uh, this is the only place in our list where Jesus is saying, you've heard it said, but I say, this is the only place where he gives us kind of like a violent illustration of how we should respond. Like gouge your eye out, cut your hand off. If it causes you to stumble, just, and so I'm sure that you hear that and you're like, whoa, Jesus, bro, calm down. That's intense. You want me to cut my arm off and gouge, you want us to go around gouging each other's eyes out? So here's what you need to understand. Jesus was a storyteller. Like everything he did and said was in story. And so he's using hyperbole here to get a point across. And we do it every day. Have you ever said, this bag weighs a ton? Does it actually weigh a ton? No. But are we communicating a point? Yes. So that's what Jesus is doing. He says, the, he uses the language he uses because he wants his listeners to go, what? He wants them to understand and get the shock value of like, wait, it's that important? It's that important that you would say, cut your arm off and gouge your eye out? And I find it interesting that he specifically says, if your eye causes you to stumble, I find that interesting because here's what Jesus understands. The eye is the lamp of the soul. So what you look at comes here, and what comes here goes here, and then what happens? We act on it. So it's not just a coincidence. He's not just like being violent. It's specific because he knows. See, Jesus understands that when it comes to lust, it is all about the eyes. Jesus understands that that is where this sin starts. It starts with what we look at and what we take in from what we see. Now, he also uses some very specific language here when he talks about divorce. And you need to understand, again, context here. The rule of the day has become if a man got tired of his wife, all he had to do was write up a certificate of divorce, give it to her, and he could go remarry. And technically, he wasn't breaking the law because he had remarried. Jesus is like, you think that you're clean because you do it that way? I'm here to tell you that when you look at that woman lustfully, you've already sinned. And again, the storyteller part of me pictures that scene. And I imagine that when he says that, that the people watching gasp and his disciples are probably like, oh, 
almost step back because that's a bit intense. You're telling me that it matters. You're telling me my thoughts are under examination. I, there's probably not any hope for me then. I want you to hold on to that thought. We're going to revisit that in a minute. See, here's the thing. Jesus does want us to grasp. He wants us to understand the weightiness and the severity of this specific sin and how it can destroy our lives. He does want you to understand how passionately you need to reject it because of the power it has to destroy you. See, lust lies and says you're not hurting anyone. But the reality is that lust is the root of what hurts us and many others. As I said, I have a story that all of this applies to me. But something that Jesus has done, he took me on this wild uh, healing journey that's about 11 years old now. So I say I've known of Jesus my whole life, but I've known Jesus for about 11 years. Um, and in that healing, one of the things he did was he started opening different doors for me to do different things, and he put a deep burden on my heart for other women who have suffered abuse like I had. And so one of the things that I um, was privileged to get to be a part of was um, a ministry in downtown Phoenix, and we actually worked with traffic victims. Phoenix, because it's a large city, is, of course, a big hub for trafficking, as are, are all large cities. Um, and we would make breakfast on Saturdays, hot breakfast, because um, a lot of times people don't realize that trafficked girls very much live almost as if they're homeless most of the time. What we see on TV glamorized is not reality. A lot of them barely have shoes on their feet. They live off of vending machines. So providing a hot breakfast was kind of like a big deal. And so we would make hot breakfast on Saturday, and the little lady that um, ran the fountain, Susan, if you're watching, I love you and I miss you, um, little British lady, and she ran it, and God put it on her heart. And so I went down there and got involved. But the first time I went, I'll never, never, ever forget this moment. Um, there was a motel around the corner from where we served. And this was also a motel where trafficking happened. Rooms would be rented for that purpose. It was also a motel where people who had been kicked out of their apartments would rent for a day or two. So it's just one of those kind of spots for that. And so uh, our first time out, <laughs> Alan and I both went down. And we packed up sack lunches and took them to pass out um, to just people. And we would just walk up to people and give them, ask them if they were hungry. And then we'd ask if they needed prayer for anything. Um, it was really beautiful. And this first time we did it, and we hadn't encountered anybody trafficked yet. And, of course, Susan had a ton of knowledge. So she, you learn when you work in that world to spot it. You can see the signs of it. And I did later, but at that point I had not. And we hadn't encountered anyone. And then a van pulled in. Um, in front of a hotel room, and these two girls got out, and they walked around the front, and I had one, la one sack left, because we were about done, and I just felt the spirit inside of me, like, go talk to her specifically, and so I walked up to the one girl, and I was pretty confident she wasn't 18, but I couldn't be f positive, but I was fairly confident she was a minor, but you can't know for sure. Um, and so I was like, can I give you, would you like a sandwich? And they don't say no. No one says no to free food, right? So she took it. And a lot of times when you would encounter girls in this situation, you're moving really fast because you don't know when they're being watched and you don't want to add to their trauma. So you're just quickly backing away so that if they're being watched from afar, um, you can, people watching don't, you know, they won't get in trouble, so to speak. 
Um, but I felt a stir in that moment to ask her, what is your name? And they don't tell you their real name. They tell you their trafficked name. Because telling you um, their real name would take a lot of trust. They've abandoned their real name for their street name because they think that's who they are now. But she told me her name. Her name was Sarah. And it just so happened because of how great Jesus is that days before that, I had found out randomly that the name Sarah means princess. And I looked at her and I said, I don't know if you knew this, but the name Sarah means princess. And God would have me tell you that that's how he sees you. And I saw her eyes tear up and she was so sweet. And I said, can I pray for you? And she said, yeah. And then the door to the hotel room opened and her pimp came to the doorway and he was just standing there, and I will never forget how I've never felt such clearly the war raging. I felt it to the very fiber of my being. I could feel the evil warring with the good. And so I reached out, and I grabbed her hands, and I prayed, and then we backed away, and we left. And that was my first encounter with that whole world, and it is a whole world. And here's the thing. There was my story, and I knew the reality of this stuff was my own story, but now I could see another face. And now this whole story had a name, and it was Sarah. And I learned something in four years of working in that world, and it is that it all starts here. It all starts right here. It all starts with what we look at and what we let come and sit right here. And a thousand thoughts lead to a thousand choices that lead to a thousand addictions that lead to a thousand destructions. Did you know that there are over 24 million pornographic sites on the web that every second... Over 24,000 people are viewing it in the U.S. alone. It's a $2.4 billion a year industry. According to the top10reviews.com, the average age of exposure is 11. 90% of children ages 8 to 16 have already viewed these kind of images on the Internet. And here's the most important one for us today in this room. The usage rate among men and women is now 50-50. This is not just a man's problem. This is a soul problem. This is a sin problem. See, Jesus knew. He knew where this battle of our sexuality would lead us. He knew how deep and dark the traps are. He knew that if we allowed ourselves to entertain even for a moment, it could lead us down a path of total destruction. So yeah, gouge your eye out and cut your arm off. <laughs> That's how important it is. Now I know I've just laid some heavy stuff on us, and I know it can feel a bit overwhelming, and I understand that. And I know that if you are listening to my voice and you struggle with something in this area or you have an addiction or you don't know where to turn, you're feeling a little overwhelmed at this point. And you're going, well, what, what do you mean, Jesus, control my thoughts? I can't. And then I sure have no control over these addictions. They have control over me. 
Well, I have some beautiful, wonderful, freeing news for you today. You can't do it by yourself. You can't set yourself free. In any area of your life, and this is no exception, you cannot live this scripture out, what Jesus just said, even if you look and have lust in your heart, that sin, you can't live that out without his help. See, here's what's so great about Jesus. When he sets the standard back to what it's supposed to be, he makes it impossible for us to do it by ourselves. He makes it where I'm like, wow, well, there's no hope for me, like the disciples probably thought earlier when I said he makes that statement and they all go, you mean my thoughts are under examination? He says, yeah, they are. So you're going to need my help because I know that you don't have the power in yourself to be free. He's your only hope. If you are addicted to things that have, are causing you destruction, causing your family destruction, those chains can be broken, but only with Jesus. Now, this is where I get to talk about grace, and I get a little excited because I really like to talk about grace because I lived a lot of years not understanding grace, and now I understand grace, and it literally changed my life. So we're going to talk about grace because that's exactly what we need in this conversation. Now, we all know the definition of grace as unmerited favor, right? We understand sort of this concept of I get to be, I get to be free because... Jesus has just made me free. But I want us to zero in on the verb definition, the active definition of grace, which is this, to honor someone with your presence. Now, we've all heard the phrase before, the king or the queen graced us with their presence, right? So what that is saying is the king or the queen honored us with their presence, and here's what I have found in my life. To receive the grace of God is to receive the honor of his presence in my life. I know what it was like to live with knowledge and no presence. And I know what it's like now to still have some knowledge, but to mostly just have presence. I know what that life is like. And that is where freedom is found. I have found that the grace of Jesus is that I get to be a dwelling place for him. I get to be a place that he can come and he can live and breathe and move inside of me. Nothing brings freedom except the presence of Jesus. Nothing brings peace except the presence of Jesus. Nothing will restore your soul except for the presence of Jesus. It is for relationship that God honors us with his presence. Grace is a ministry of reconciliation. It's not a ministry of justice because we don't deserve it. We cannot earn Jesus. You cannot check off a list and qualify. It is a ministry of reconciliation. And Jesus shows up and says, you need me and I'm willing to help. Will you let me in? Will you let me all the way in? where it's dark and gloomy, and I will bring my light. That is what Jesus says to us. He's giving us access, the same access that Adam and Eve had before the fall. What does it say in Genesis? It says they walked, they strolled with God in the cool of the evening. 
That's what you do with a friend. You stroll. That is what we get to do now because of Jesus and because of grace is we get to stroll with him because it is his presence. That is his grace is that he honors us with his presence. Your sin is not too big for Jesus. Your addiction is not too big for Jesus. Sexual sin comes with overwhelming shame. And I love that when Jesus gives us this portion of the Sermon on the Mount, he really removes the shame because he makes it, like I said, impossible to do this alone. I love that he elevates again the dignity of women. That's a whole nother message, but Jesus is always protecting and loving and elevating and dignifying women his whole time on earth. But he's also saying, you both are responsible for your own actions. You can't blame her. She can't blame you. You are responsible for you. We like that. <laughs> we want someone else to be responsible, right? And there is no sin that will lie to you greater than this one. Well, it's not my fault I'm like this. She asked for it. He asked for it. I'm not hurting anybody by looking at that. Those are all the lies that trap you. And I know that this comes with shame. But I am here today to tell you that Jesus has called me to defy the voice of shame in this specific area, this particular conversation, because I was a victim of sexual abuse, but today I am an advocate of hope. I am no longer a victim. And I understand that if you sit in the room or you are listening and you struggle in this area, you really don't think there's any hope. I get it. I watched that happen in my own house, but I'm telling you there's hope. You don't in bondage. I don't hold you, I don't condemn you for the sin that has found you and trapped you. I don't condemn you. Even as a victim of it, I don't condemn you. Jesus offers you freedom from the bondage. Grace calls to you from a blood-stained cross. And it says, give me your sin, your struggle, your pain, and let me wash you clean. Grace is the antidote of shame. We all want a good antidote in 2020, right? Someone give us the antidote. Grace is the antidote. It is the positive response to the negative reaction of shame. Where shame says, don't tell anyone your secret or you'll be rejected. Grace says, I already know your secret and I want you anyway. Where shame says, you cannot be made clean after all you've seen and done and thought, Grace says, give me your dirty stained cloak and I'll give you my white one. Where shame says there's no hope for you to overcome, Grace says, I am your hope. I am your hope. That is your only hope. Sexual purity is possible, friends. In a world that is telling us do what you want, when you want, how you want, with whoever you want. Jesus is saying it's actually possible to be pure, but only with me, only with his help. He restores our dignity when we surrender all of this to him. And when he restores our dignity, it changes the way we view ourselves and each other. 
When we host his presence, it changes the way we look. It changes what we see. God is concerned with how your thought life is governed. I would go as far as to say, not only is he concerned, it is the root of your relationship with him, is what you allow to come in on a daily basis. Because God knows, this is the thing, God is concerned because what you dwell on determines whether or not you are a place that he can dwell. What you dwell on determines if you are a place that he can come and rest and make a home. So I would go as far as to say that this is the root of everything for us as we follow Jesus giving him these things inside of us that we think aren't actually bad because no one else is getting hurt. Jesus says, but I want you to be a dwelling place for me, and so I need you to give me those things. 2 Corinthians 10, 5 says, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised up against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive to obey Christ. Here's what I wanted you to take from that one verse. That means it's possible. If it's in the Bible, it's possible. I don't have to be a slave to my thoughts. It is possible to be free because Paul told us right here, we take those thoughts captive and give them to Jesus. Only Jesus can do this with you, friend. You need his grace to keep your heart and your mind pure. It's not a one-time decision. It's a daily decision. It's an active response daily. As we move into deeper places of his presence, we become more aware of what hurts his heart. And as I get closer to his heart, when something pops up that I realize is, is, is bringing distance, I don't want that. Get rid of that. I want it gone because I want him more than I want that. The world tells us, do what we want, think what we want. It's all about your truth. And here's what Jesus says. Sure, you can do that if you want. But if you want to be a dwelling place for me, then you owe me your whole life. You get to choose. Jesus is pretty clear. We get to choose. But if you want me to come and dwell in your life, you owe me your whole life. And that starts with your heart. It's pretty black and white. First John 2, 16 says, Everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, it all comes not from the Father, but from the world. This battle, this, this moment where Jesus shifts everything upside down, this moment where he makes it impossible to do it alone, that's actually a place where we need to celebrate because it is in our weakness that he becomes strong. You aren't expected to never be tempted. You aren't expected to never fall and stumble. Jesus isn't telling you that. He's telling you, I will walk with you through the day by day, through the thought, 
through the pain, through the sorrow, I will walk with you. And we will do it together. Everything about us begins with our identity as men and women. And I think that that's why this particular conversation is so important. Listen, friends, the world's not afraid to talk about it. The world is not afraid to have these conversations. So we must have these conversations at church (laughs) and in our small groups and in our homes. We must have these conversations because we hold the truth. The world's version is just bringing chaos and confusion and hurt. Our children are being confused and hurt. We must make this normal to talk about. And I don't know why, but Jesus wants me to be one of those people that talks about it. (laughs) I'm going to ask Lauren to join me. I've asked her to come up because we're going to close out in worship today. But um, I just, I know how heavy this feels because it is heavy. (laughs) Because I know that this touches on all of us in some some way. We've all been impacted by this topic in some way, whether it's our own personal struggle whether it's things that were done to us because of this. We've all been impacted by this. And that's why it's so important that we let Jesus into these places inside of us. Because God created you, man and woman, and he created it to be celebrated in beauty and to give him glory. And when you surrender this stuff to him, You will be amazed at the way he will change your perception of each other. The equality that he wants man and woman to walk in can only happen when we begin to view each other the way he views us. Treasures, valued, priceless. When we honor each other, those are all the ways that that we bring healing to these relationships that have been broken by sexual confusion. Do you think that my own dad really thought when he held me as a baby that one day he would do what he did? He didn't. He didn't. I have no doubt that when he held me in the hospital, it never crossed his mind that one day he would be the one to hurt me in such a deep way. That is what sin does. It doesn't ask permission. One thought leads to another thought, leads to another thought, leads to an addiction, leads to an action. And before you know it, you've lost complete control. That's why this is important, because you can be free, but you have to make a choice. You have to make a choice to walk in freedom, to pursue freedom. Not be perfect, but pursue it. And there is grace for this struggle, friends. There is grace. Grace is not extracted. It is at the center of this conversation. There is grace if you struggle in this area. So what in the world can you do when you leave today? If you are in a place that you are feeling Jesus say, yeah, that's an area we need to talk about. And you're wondering, what in the world do I do? Well, I have two things you can do this week. Two small things you can do. Not small. They're big, but important. It's hard, it's vulnerable, but the answer is accountability. You cannot fight this one by yourself. I watched my own family try and it didn't work. 
You will not break the addictions you feed in the dark by keeping them in the dark. You must bring them into the light. The thoughts, the choices, all of the stuff that you think is too big for Jesus, I've got some news for you. Nothing stands above the name of Jesus. So you've got to reach out for help. If you're married, I want to encourage you to bring someone on the outside into the conversation. Don't dump it on your spouse as the person that's going to help you. You need someone to come in and help you do it together. If you're like, who do I call? I don't even have anybody. You, I am 100% positive that every parent would be more than happy to receive a call, text, message, email. Hey, I listened to the message Sunday and I need help. I will help you. Call me. Text me. My husband and I have walked people through this exact conversation before. Healing is possible. There's hope. It doesn't have to stay the way it is. And then the last thing I want to encourage you is oftentimes we don't realize that these, that these um, areas where we feel like we've lost control a lot of times are connected to unresolved pain and trauma. And this is another conversation that Jesus has asked me to step up to the plate and to make the conversation about trauma normal because we're all impacted by trauma, all of us. And so sometimes we're carrying deep wounds and those deep wounds have caused a chain reaction of events that have caused us to make choices, to have thoughts, and we don't even realize it's all connected, but oftentimes it is connected. And so I personally am a facilitator with a program um, that... We explore trauma. We explore what God says about trauma. We explore how God says we can heal from trauma and the tools that he gives us. And we're going to be starting. Our next group is in October. It's free for seven weeks. Once it starts, it's a closed group. So it's not going to just be bunches of random people. Once we get going, it'll just be the group that's there. And I want to encourage you that if you are today going, I have to get help, then I want to encourage you that this is another step you can take. Let Jesus heal those places inside of you that have led you down these paths. Because can I tell you something? My own father was abused as a child, and that's what led him down the road to the ultimate destruction. It always starts somewhere, friends. And Jesus can heal it. So I've asked the lovely Lauren to lead us. This song was already on the set list. We had not communicated, but I saw it, and I'm like, we need to close with that song. We sang it earlier about being set free. And here's what we're going to do. I'm going to ask you to stand. And we're going to worship. And here's what I would like. If you are listening today and you're like, I, I need that freedom, then you're singing this in faith. Really loud and really passionately, you are saying, I believe that I can be set free. If you've already walked that journey, then you're singing this song to give someone else hope. I did it, which means you can do it. If there's grace for me, there's grace for you. So I'm going to ask Miss Lauren to lead us in this, and I'm going to invite you to worship, and then I'm going to come back up afterwards and close this out. And yes, Lord, we are grateful for your grace.
since the cross, you still set us free. And Jesus, there are friends listening today that are desperate for freedom, and they've thought up until today that there was no hope, but they're leaving today with hope. They're leaving today with new hope because nothing stands above your name. And Jesus, those of us who carry pain and trauma from these kinds of wounds, Jesus, you are the great physician. And I am proof that you heal the wounds. The ones that we think are too deep to ever be healed, you come and you heal. And so today I speak healing over this crowd today. Those that are listening, everyone that can hear my voice, I speak healing over all of us, Jesus. Let Crossroads become a place where we talk about all the hard things because we have all the hope in the world. And that is you, Jesus. Thank you for your grace, the honor of your presence. I know it right this moment in this room. You have honored us with your presence. Thank you for honoring us with your presence. Let us leave today and be aware of your presence everywhere we go, in every choice we make, in every thought, in everything we see. Let us be asking ourselves, is this going to make me a dwelling place? Because your presence brings us freedom. We commit our hearts, our lives, all of it to you, Jesus.